Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Well, in the long run, nothing matters, Owen. Yeah. Uh, We're all just an insignificant collection of <laughs> atoms floating through space yeah. towards inevitable death. Merry Christmas, everyone. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norman. I am joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. Tony Black. Good evening. And Brian Plank. Hello. As we take you through our Christmas special, including Secret Sandra and a Christmas quiz. <laughs> yeah. Which I believe the only question to is, is Die Hard a Christmas film? And the answer is yes. Next. Yep. Yep. Points yep. one. That's it. Yeah, quiz done. Your, your prize, your prize is to watch Mob Handed yeah. before the end of the year. Yes, uh, <laughs> and we've got some um, uh, new releases to review, including Office Christmas Party and what else is it? Sully. No, nope. who's seen? No one, no one's seen Sully. We, no one. Uh, well, Brooke has seen it, but he's not on the podcast. I watched week. Sully when it came out on CNN a few years ago. Yeah, the um, the original. Yes. The prequel. Yep. Yeah. 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 Then there's Hollywood remake nonsense. <laughs> yeah, no, we haven't seen Sully on. We're not talking about it on this podcast. We've got Birth of a Nation, Office Christmas Party, and Westworld, which is finished. And we're going to have a bit of a chat about that. There we go. So, plenty for us to talk about. We're going to start with the quiz, though, where there is no points, no prizes on offer this week. Just, just fun. Just lots of fun. Mm. Yeah. A bit of a challenge, though, to, to try and follow last week's quiz cast because Paul's just really good at putting those together. Whatever followed, it was gonna be shit. By comparison, and here's Owen, and here's me. Yeah. Um. So the idea is there are three categories of questions. You've got Christmas movies, Christmas songs, and Christmas TV specials, and there are three questions in each category. I'm gonna go one by one, so it doesn't matter whether you're right or wrong. But I'm does, moving on it, to the it, next person. It, it does kind of matter if you're right or wrong at the point of the quiz. <laughs> but in terms of this quiz, at least, you have to... It's the first person to get to and answer the third question in any of the categories. So you could effectively answer six questions correctly and someone else only needs to answer one question correctly as long as it's the third question in that category. Okay. It's the idea is to get to the third question in that category and answer it. The first to get to that third question and answer it wins. So, uh, Steve, you want to go first as host? Yeah, all right. Yeah, do you want the question from Christmas movies, Christmas songs, or Christmas TV specials? Christmas movies. Who directed How the Grinch Stole Christmas in the year 2000? Ooh. And you can have a clue, but if you have a clue, I move on. You don't get to answer it. It basically becomes your go. <laughs> yeah, but what, what, happens, what happens if I pass then? They don't get a clue, but it still moves on. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah it'll I'll, move I'll, on. Whether I'll, you, I'll pass then. Okay, so everyone now knows what the first question is for Christmas movies. So Brian, do you want Christmas movies, songs, or TV? Christmas songs. Which Christmas song is the best-selling single of all time? Hmm. Walking in the Winter Wonderland. Is it correct? Hmm. Okay, Tony. Mm. If you know the answer to the movies or the songs, you can answer it, or you can ask for TV specials and get that oh. one going. Oh, so to- Tony and Brian aren't a team in this, then? No, it's every man for himself, just like Christmas. Precisely, that's <laughs> the spirit. We're all after a, a Turbo Man, but that's what we get at the end. The, those, those three kings, they were racing to be the first one to stable. They say, I'm giving them gold, sucks to be you, you give them more. You get them coming last. <laughs> Quite appropriately, I'm going to have, I'm going to have TV specials, Owen. TV specials. In Blackadder's Christmas Carol, released in 1988, mm. who played the spirit of Christmas? Ooh. All right, I'm going I'm to I'm go for this. I'm going to have a guess. Yep. Was it Robbie Coltrane? It was Robbie Coltrane. Yes. So we're one down on TV specials. So, Woo. Steve, it's back to you. You can either have question two from TV specials or answer the Christmas songs or movies question. I'm going to go TV specials because if it's only Fools and Horses, I'm laughing. <laughs> <laughs> what disaster happened on the Christmas 1993 episode of Emmerdale? Oh, that's easy. A plane crashed into the village. <laughs> plane crashed into the village. That's correct. I remember it that. It killed off everyone. Yeah. Yeah. So we're two down on TV specials and Brian, you can have the third question and answer and win the whole quiz or you can I'll move on to TV a different specials. Okay. Oh, you could get quiz going longer. How many viewers tuned in for the 1996 Only Fools and Horses Christmas special in which Del Boy and Rodney dressed as Batman and Robin? And I want you to guess within one million. Fifteen million. Is incorrect. What on earth kind of clue would you do for that? <laughs> it's higher than five million, but less than twenty million or something. Yeah. So, Tony. Movies, songs, or TV specials? I'm going to chance my luck again and say TV specials, please. Okay. You want to guess within a million, or the clue will be, it's either going to be, I'm going to tell you whether it's higher or lower than what Brian guessed. But if you if you take the clue, you don't get to guess. Right, okay, I'll guess. Um, I I think uh, <laughs> 26 million. Is incorrect. <sighs> yeah. So, hang on. Okay. so, so the, que- the question in the other categories that I've passed on... That's still the yeah. same question. Like if I went back That's to that still the same now. question. That's yeah. Uh, it's either who directed How the Grinch Stole Christmas or which Christmas song is the best-selling single of um, all time. I'm I'm gonna go back to Christmas movies, even though I'm certain that Christmas songs is um, Mistletoe and Wine by Cliff Richard. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so do you want that as your guess? No, no, no I'm going for Christmas movies. All right, who directed How the no, Grinch Stole Christmas? No, I'm going for Christmas TV specials. okay how many viewers for the only fools and horses christmas special and can you go back through the previous guesses we've had 15 million and 26 million but you don't know how far off either of them may be i'm gonna say 19 million is incorrect oh yeah so brian i'll go for christmas films and i'll say it was uve ball who directed how the grim store christmas (laughs) It was not, no, surprisingly. <laughs> Tony. Uh, I'm going to guess, I'm going to have a go at the song. Uh, okay, song, uh, best-selling song? I think it's White Christmas by Bing Crosby. It's correct. Hey! Yes! We're one down on the songs. Yes. Okay, Steve, you can guess a number. 
You can answer who directed How the Grinch Stole Christmas, or you can have question two for Christmas songs. Let's, let's go Christmas songs. All right. In Fairy Tale of New York, what was promised on Christmas Eve? Um, you're Christmas singing it in my head now. Christmas Eve, Shane, they're going two front teeth. I'm going to press you for an answer. Um... You can't just oh. sing the whole song in your head. <laughs> I, I am. I would if you stopped interrupting me. We, we, um, we haven't got four minutes to sort of wait around. Broadway. Broadway is correct. Yes. Hey. Promised me Broadway was waiting for me. Excellent. Right. So, Brian. I'll take the Christmas song finale. The Christmas song finale. Who was number one in the charts in Christmas 2015? Ooh. Hell, that's hard. Mm. Uh, yes, because I've not been hip with music since about 2005. <laughs> you could have a clue, or you could just have a random guess. What do you want, the name of the artist or the, the oh, name the random guess. It was E17. <laughs> it wasn't E17, no. <laughs> well, that's a mistake that we're all paying for. It wasn't um, E17, and Steve, I just want the uh, name of the artist. I think I know it. All right, so Tony, your chance. I think it was uh, Twatty McBollockface. I don't know. I don't know what they're called. I've no idea. No, no, I pass. Well, you could have a clue rather than pass if you want. To gift it to Steve. It is Christmas after all. All right, I'll have a clue. I'll have a clue then. Okay. Okay. It, first clue is it wasn't Bieber. Just in case. Well, that's, a, that's a great clue. <laughs> oh, we, could, we could do this all night. Let's get better. Yeah. <laughs> it could be any other musical artist in the world. You got no, oh. it's not Bieber. Um, yeah. Steve. I'm gonna go back to Christmas movies and say twelve million. Does Christmas TV? <laughs> you mean? Yeah, Christmas TV special. Twelve million directed How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Yeah. No, uh, twelve million is incorrect. So. Brian. Hang on, is 12 million correct for Only Fools and Horses or for who directed The Grinch Old Christmas? <laughs> Either. Take your well. pick. <laughs> well. Yeah. Brian, movies, songs or TV specials? Remember songs, it's not Justin Bieber. And it's also not E17, which is mm. basically, it's all, all the things that sensible people <laughs> listen to. You've narrowed, you've narrowed it down. There's only, there's only one other person it could um, be. So you could take a clue on any of them if you wanted. I want a clue on the, the movies one. Okay. Uh, he... Oh, it's the man. That's it. That's it. Yeah, he used to appear in a US sitcom. I know who it is. I thought this from the start. I know who it is. Oh, it was Ted Danson. <laughs> <laughs> so, he came into my Tony. head weirdly. Oh, God. Tony, which one? Uh, uh, oh. Right, I'm going to have a go at TV specials again. I'm going to have another guess. Okay, about, the, about the number. Uh, I'm gonna say I think it was a lot. Twenty nine million. No, no, that's, that's, that's mental. That's half the population. I know, but they, they used to get that <laughs> back then when we didn't mental. have like the internet and you know. It was 1996. They still had Sky. Yeah, but we didn't have free online porn all day. You know, the world's changed, Steve. Yeah, you, can still, get them, you can still get them German channels on the old Sky boxes. <laughs> <laughs> I used to love, I loved I loved them as a kid. They were brilliant. Yeah. Um So Steve, you'll go. I'm I'm gonna go Christmas movies and prolong the agony of this quiz even longer. Go on then, yeah. I think it's Ron Howard. It's Ron Howard. Oh we're down another Ron question. Ron. Yeah, that's a, good, that's a good guess. Brian. I'll take Christmas movies. And I'll also say hello to our one listener who's 
not quit. Who hasn't tuned out? Which Christmas movie did Robert Zemeckis direct in 2004? Uh, the Santa Claus 2. <laughs> it's not the Santa Claus 2. Uh, okay, so we're on to Tony. I, th- I think I know that one. Was it A Christmas Carol? It wasn't A Ooh. Christmas Carol. But you're thinking along the right lines. Oh, right, I know. Steve. Christmas movies? Was yeah. it A Muppet's Christmas Carol? It wasn't A Muppet's Christmas Carol. No, Tony was closer with that one. Basically, based on mine and Tony's answers, remove Muppets from what I said and you're closer. <laughs> I was going to say, it's not, it doesn't involve Muppets. Yeah, that's the clue. No. Yeah. Okay. Um, it, Brian. It's Polar Express. It's Polar Express. Uh. Yeah. Right. So, Tony... You can either have another guess at the Christmas songs, TV special, or oh. movies, and win it. Oh. Um, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna take a movies again. I'm gonna take a movies again. It's the only one we don't know. Yeah, <laughs> in Joe Dante's 1984 black comedy Gremlins, oh. the town of Kingston Falls is the exact same backdrop for which other 1984 movie? Oh. I'm rubbish with Gremlins. I haven't seen it since I was a kid. Um, 1984. What came out in 1984? wasn't wasn't Back to the Future. It wasn't ET. Oh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. That's the only film from 1984 I can remember. <laughs> no, it wasn't. No, I may have misled you on that one. It actually. Well, you gave me the wrong question. 1984. No, it was, it was filmed in 1984. Oh, okay. But released the following year. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. I still don't know. Yeah. Okay. So we're on to Steve again. I'm going to go Christmas movies. Mm-hmm. I'm going I'm to say one that Tony did mention as being incorrect. I'm going to say Back to the Future. And Steve's won the quiz. Oh, <laughs> damn it. Damn your snidey questions, Owen. <laughs> Although, didn't Gremlins come out in the summer? It did. But it's the set at Christmas. Christmas Eve, yeah. Yeah. It was forced to come out in the summer, apparently, because they didn't want to compete with whatever the Christmas movie that year was. Ghostbusters, I think. So Back to the Future. Back to the Future. And we had every single question. I wasn't expecting that to happen. So I'm sorry some of them were a bit shit. <laughs> we haven't got every single answer yet, though. Answer time. Yeah, yeah, we need to know. We need to know the million. Who was number one in the charts in Christmas 2015 was the Lewisham and Greenwich NHS Choir. What? See, I was going to say it was the Military Wives Choir. See, I've got their first EP, but... <laughs> yeah, it's when they sold out <laughs> I stopped listening to them. Um, TV specials. Right. How many viewers tuned in? We had 15, 26, 19, 12, and 29. The answer was 21.3. Ah. Yeah. So Steve did get kind of close with 19. It's two, 2.3 million out. Still, but, a, uh, still a shitload, isn't it? 21 million. It's massive, isn't it? Yeah. Would, you, would you have accepted shitload as an answer? <laughs> um, he said the nearest 1 million. Do mm. you yeah. a million? What the <laughs> Yeah, one shitload million. Um, no, I wouldn't. I would have waited for 21.3. I would have ground us down to within a million of that. But I'm Very pedantic. Yeah, but you, you know, I said you could have a clue. You could guess higher or lower if you wanted and then wait until it was your go, but that's... Them's the breaks, I'm afraid. Well, so, one, of the, well, one of the clues was it's not Justin Bieber and the other clue was no, no Muppets are in it. 
then. The Justin Bieber one. What was the other question? I was going to say, uh, it wasn't Bieber. They made their debut on BBC Two's Sing While You Work. The song was a mashup of two famous songs. The song was called A Bridge Over You. And then it was a charity single. So we would have got closer and closer. But No, we wouldn't. Maybe not helpful. I, I do straight away as one of the choirs, but I thought it was the Military Wives, or NHS. Yeah, so there you I, go. Well, that's that, half a that point. was excruciatingly long, but it's over now. Um, yeah, and I won. And you won. So Merry Christmas. <laughs> uh, on on to the news, Owen, and and no one's died this week, and there doesn't seem to be much happening. We don't want to talk about another couple of superhero movie trailers because that's what we do in the news generally. But we, are... I think, if nobody died, that would be news. Yeah. Are we going to do that day to day sketch? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Nobody of any significance in the movie world died, as far as we're aware. Yeah, but you know who did die? Ian McCaskill, the, the Scottish weather guy. I was gutted about that today. I loved that guy growing up. Uh, yeah. But, uh... No, we also... <laughs> so, I mean, just months. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking dismissed. There's always deaths. Grief dismissed. Yeah. It's 2016. What do you expect? Yeah. For true. another few weeks, anyway. Yeah. Anyway... The uh, news, then, is that we have opened the Fail Critics 2016 Movie Awards. Yes, they are open. People can go to failcritics.com and vote on there. We've got categories like uh, Best Film of 2016. You can pick 10 movies to vote for in that. Uh, we've got Best Male Performances, Best Female Performances, Documentaries, British Films, Films Not in the English Language, Soundtracks, and, of course, Worst Films, which I think we introduced last year for the first time, and it's back. We've um, also got a new category, which is best cisgender male in a non-binary role. Have you, have you got that one written down, or was that off the top of your head? <laughs> that was off the top of my head. That's quite good, actually. And yeah. the award goes to? Uh, probably Eddie Redbane. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, it, yeah, so anyway, <laughs> we, yeah, we've got our awards open. It's been open since uh, earlier this afternoon of recording on Monday. We've had five people submit stuff. Mob Handed has been mentioned twice. Uh, but I'm not saying by whom or in what category, uh, but just know it's in there. Uh, what, I mean, what are your guys' thoughts about what you're going to pick for categories? Have you have you actually had a, a think about what's going where yet? Or I've had a think and realised I've seen lots of very forgettable films. Like, I forgot I watched Magnificent Seven and Ghostbusters and Deadpool and Jason Bourne. And there's not yes. much in there that's worth an award. Oh, let's give... Toby Jones an award for Dad's Army. Not so much. Mm. Um, mm. Like, the only thing I've seen that I think, yes, that's worthy of being awarded is Trumbull uh, with Brian Cranston. He was excellent. The film was excellent. Um, John Goodman could probably get a best supporting just for being John Goodman. Because I went through a, a habit of watching John Goodman films where he took a baseball bat and smashed stuff up. But in Trumbull... He does it saying, I'm in this for the money and the pussy, and they're both falling off the trees. They batter them with the bat. I'm um, waiting for Rogue One to come out before I make judgments. John Goodman's I think that's that. what a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think a lot of people are going to be doing similar, actually. Yeah. Um, wait until the, the last big blockbuster of the year's out. Interestingly enough, I think that Independence Day movie could both be in my, my top 10 and my worst list at the same time. <laughs> Because yeah. I, so, I had so much fun watching it, but it was shit. <laughs> it was really shit. 
I think Jurassic World got onto our top ten list last year for that reason. Uh, yeah, lots of people thought it was so bad that it was fun. I I mean I I'm really looking forward to Rogue One because I'm a big Star Wars fan, but I don't really necessarily think that's going to trouble anyone's top five. Really, I, I don't I don't think it's going to be that good. I think it's going to be good, but it's good. It does, but I don't early, know. Early early reviews are positive. Yeah, but it it does. I mean, it, it does always on my dreams. <laughs> Look, it's gonna it is gonna be good, right? Definitely, of course it is. It's Star Wars, but right, it it's there is always that sort of pre hype element to it, and I don't know, I don't know, I just don't think it'll segue nicely into our, our Star Wars special that will be um, out later last week. Star Wars special was the most listened to episode last year. It was one that Owen wasn't on. <laughs> was oh, even heard of the Bond special. No. <laughs> you, Steve, um, you, Paul, and Chris Bucket, Dave, are back for that one. Yeah, yeah it's the uh, original trilogy. I'd like to call Ooh, it. Nice. <laughs> yeah. well, it's basically the episode of the year that I'm not allowed on. Well, yeah. I'm physically not allowed into the Skype conversation because you're a massive fun sponge. <laughs> yeah. When it comes to Star uh, Wars. Well, thanks. For, I like that little disclaimer at the end. I thought that was going to be the end of the sentence. Just a fun sponge, <laughs> and then. No, but only on Star Wars. Okay, that's yeah. fine. I uh, I had I had a thought on um, best soundtrack because I, obviously I do oh, yeah. um, little plug, but I I, I do a, a film music podcast called Between the Notes, which you can find on Facebook. Blah blah blah. Uh, and one of the uh, one of the ones that stands out for me, I think, is best. We do we're doing an episode about best scores of 2016 soon, um, and I think the score for High Rise by Clint Mansell stands out as amazing. That was that was a, that was a brilliant score, brilliant soundtrack. And I, I could so probably put a whole say, by Clint Mansell. The answer is well, yes, yes, it will exactly. be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, there's been some. There's been even though it's not been a great year for movies, it's actually been a quite a good year for scores. There's been some terrific like soundtracks out there. So have, have you seen the, the video on YouTube about the the Marvel films how they have no like soundtracks doing for themselves, and it's partly because of studios using placeholder music. And director saying, yeah. "Would it sound like that other film that we've all seen?" Yeah, I, I so don't, I don't, in, I don't entirely agree with the whole Marvel feel. You know, don't do any particularly good music argument. It's not as good as some, but it it, it is there. Like the Civil War score was pretty good this year, but you know, I, again, I just think that some some of the some of the big blockbuster films, then the music for them has actually been better than the films, like. You know things like Star Trek Beyond and Jason Bourne, which I enjoyed a lot, but the the scores are way better than the films. It's weird. It's weird when that happens, and it happens more and more for the big blockbusters now. I think this is going to be the one category I'm going to struggle most with in picking films for because um, I just haven't listened to any soundtracks in isolation for any movies that have come out this year, and in the only times I can think of a soundtrack of a film being particularly standout. One, I thought the Hateful Eight soundtrack was good whilst I was watching the film. I have no mm. idea what it seems like afterwards. And Suicide Squad, because the soundtrack was really fucking shit. And that's the only that's the only oh, other one that stands out to me. That's the one that's really literal. Mm. Yeah. It's like when you're watching uh, Bargain Hunt and they say, we're going to go see <laughs> exactly A Man About a Dog and then they play a song that's got a dog in it. Yep. One Man and His Dog. No imagination at all. Yep. Yep. That's how I felt about Suicide Squad. and But the, otherwise, yeah, I think I'm going to struggle with those. I think one of the others I might struggle with is picking 10 really good films that I want to vote for in the top 10 films of the year. Um, mm. 
And and I I have this like to to vote for something in in the Fail Critics Awards, right? It's got to be a film that was released in the UK in 2016. So already people kind of don't know whether that includes stuff like Spotlight or Room or The Revenant and things like that that were out in America in 2015. And if you go to IMDb and just look at them, it says 2015 film. But they, uh, they're in our awards 2016. We do years in January 1st, 31st of December. That's that's a year. Um, but it means films that, that are getting lots of praise already, like La La Land, Jackie, Moonlight, mm. Manchester by the Sea. They're not actually out in the UK yet, so they won't be included in our awards. Or the Assassin's Creed film, you can vote for that. Or the Assassin's Creed <laughs> film, yeah. That but it will be a bit too late. That, number one. That, the thing is, though, that it, it's good in a way because it does mean... Because, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a nerd, so I have all my films on Letterboxd and I categorise them by year and I do, you know, ranked lists and things. And when I look back at the 2015 mm-hmm. one, there are some really good films that came out in the UK in 2016 that on Letterboxd I classify as last year, but I can now bring into a top ten for this list. Things like Creed, The Witch, High Rise, yeah, Green yeah. Room... Mm-hmm. You know, Hateful Eight. Yep. There's some great films that that have, that have come out technically in 2015, but came out here in 2016. So, in that respect, I think my top ten is going to be pretty easy because a lot of them are way better than most of what is in my top ten in 2016 that I've seen. <laughs> so the post-January you know. releases for this yeah. year. Yeah, Spotlight is yeah. another one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Well, so... there's a couple like Bone Tomahawk is one of my favourite films of the year, but that was out in like October last year. In America, we didn't come out over here until about February. So similarly, like Green Inferno, which has been in production since 2013, and you know people saw it at festivals in early 2014, but actually didn't get a release until like April this year, I don't think. So there's quite a few, and having a look through Netflix as well, going through the new releases that are all on that are all on Netflix, and you have a look at them at the list as 2015. A lot of those actually count as 2016 for us. So, mm. yeah, people might have to think a little bit or just check on IMDb for release info and see what see what comes up. I mean, in terms of, like, the worst films of the year, how are you guys thinking of voting in that? What What's bringing out at you for worst films of the year? See, a lot of the films that look like worst, I took a massive body swerve. Like Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, no. Mm-hmm. X-Men, interested, then I saw Taylor's and thought, no. The worst thing I've seen is in Batman vs. Superman, because that was... Dire, just <laughs> a just a mess. I th- I think it could have been. I think it could be Batman versus Superman or X Men Apocalypse because a superhero film shouldn't bore the ass off you, and they both did. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, you think I. <sighs> I don't know. I mean, I, I my, my instinct. I mean, yeah, I agree. They were they were shit. As was Suicide Squad, but. Like, I don't know, Warcraft is worse because that yes. really, really was dodgy, you know, and it should have been mm-hmm. good. You'll have to make me watch Warcraft before the voting ends. Mate, <laughs> don't, don't waste your life. Another one, I think, well, actually, no, do you know what? I'm going to give it to, for me. I think the worst one, the worst big movie was 13 Hours, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi, because that is a vile piece mm. of right-wing shit by Michael Bay. So that, that's mine. Happily, I'll put that in. I've completely missed that one. It's good. Funny, it's, a, it's a strange name for the next Transformers film. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's awful. It is, it is absolute dog shit. And it is political 
it's just fucking awful. Is it it's all like, about shooting rakeheads like American Sniper yeah, was? Basically, yeah, but it's worse. It's like Clint Eastwood and Michael Bay had a baby. It's horrible, horrible film. Wow. Um, so yeah, that's mm. that's mine. If not, if it's not the technically the worst, it does have some good technical moments. But as a piece of cinema, it's vile. So and it sums it sums twenty sixteen up to be honest. Yeah, we're not voting objectively, really, are we? We're, we're very much subjective well, in picking the films that we found to be the worst and whatever for whatever reason. Otherwise, you'd have stuff like Sharknado four topping the list. <laughs> Whereas, yeah. we're actually picking like I'm picking the Danish girls, probably going to be in my bottom three. I'm not sure where Triple Nine. You know, pretty competently made, I guess, but I just hated it from start to finish. Um, no one's mentioned yeah. Dirty Grandpa. Which oh, is Robert De Niro just gurning because Christ. he must have a massive mortgage. <laughs> mm. yeah. They talked about it on Underground Nights, Paul and, and Mullinger did, and they they both defended that. I haven't seen it for myself yet. Of course, Paul. Of course, Paul would defend that. Of course, Paul will defend Dirty Grandpa. He is Dirty Grandpa. Let's be honest. (laughs) (laughs) I think I got halfway through the trailer or TV ad and went, no. No. Mm -hmm. We haven't mentioned Ghostbusters. Is this going to trouble any category that you've got to vote for? I think it's too too middle of the road. Yeah. Yeah, we, we said at the time, it's. It's forgettable. You walk out to and go, that was all right, and then you'll never think about it again. I think it's probably going to be quite popular for the top five female performances category. Oh, Kate, Kate McKinnon. Uh, yes, She's exactly. definitely in there. Yeah. I think that's probably where we're most likely to see it pop up, if I'm honest. But, uh, well, yeah, let's talk about performances then. Who's Who's been a standout for you? What's immediately jumping out as this is definitely going on to my top five performances? Ryan Reynolds and Deadpool? Yes, yeah, like, fantastic choice. He was he was pretty magnetic and he made the film. Uh, Idris yeah. Elba in The Jungle Book, I know he's just doing the voice, but it's Idris Elba. Who else has done their job well? I think um I think Amy Adams was particularly good in Arrival, and I'm not always I'm not always one for Amy Adams. I find her very, very hit and miss. But when she gets a good script and a good director, and she had both in that film, she can really do well. And I think she'll be troubling the best actress again at the Oscars for that. And so, yeah, I think she was particularly good. Um, do you know what might hamper her this year in our awards? People picking her for Nocturnal Animals and other people picking her for Arrival. I think that will yeah. bother the Ghostbusters bunch as well. Hmm. What, Melissa McCarthy for The Boss and for Ghostbusters? For Kirsten Wick for Ghostbusters and also Kate McKenna for Ghostbusters. Mm. Yeah, yeah, possibly. People no, I can't pick can't... both of them. No, I'll just pick one. Yeah. Um, there have been some really good performances, though, this year. I mean, like... Um... Michael B. Jordan was great in Creed, as was Stallone. To be fair, he was he was really good as as an yeah, older Rocky. Was, yeah, yeah, he was he was ace. Like uh, Ralph Ineson in in The Witch, uh, he was and Kate Dickey. They were both amazing in that. Really, in fact, most of the cast were there. Um, well, I was going to say Anya Taylor Joy. was yeah, was fantastic. Yeah, they were all really good. Um, both um, both central characters in Ten Cloverfield Lane. Yeah. Were yeah. 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 Good. Yeah. Um, and, and also Patrick Stewart in Green Room was one that, that 
That stood out for me. Is that the one where he's a hard bastard? He's a skinhead Nazi. Right. He's yeah. amazing. And, and he sees everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Sort of. laughs> he's seen it all. Anton Yelchin was Anton Yelchin was really good. The late Ant- Anton Yelchin, sadly now, yeah, he was, was very good in that as well. So, so there's been some really, there has been some really good performances this year. So, mm-hmm. wait, you didn't have a category for it, but can we give a special mention to the the puppeteers who looked after Tommy Lee Jones and Jason Bourne? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or, or Mechanic Resurrection, where he popped up as well, which is yeah. a wonderfully hilarious film. In fact, that, that, is right, that is it, 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 it. Well, I don't know. Maybe no. there, there is, there is, there is one of the best executed scenes I've ever seen in terms of how he manages to. It's a bit like the Hitman games, you know, the Hitman computer games. It's, yeah. it's like that basically, but done with a tongue in cheek. And there's a one sequence where he basically kills a man who's got a swimming pool that's built out of the, the top floor of his, like, building, uh, like this apartment building, and it is brilliant. He basically oh. sucks him down a plug hole. It is, I think I may have talked about it on this on this podcast. Yeah, yes, you did. It, 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 it's amazing. Yeah. you got to watch it for that, but yeah. Yeah. I'm just conscious of time, so I just want to quickly talk about the two other categories that we haven't really mentioned at all. Uh, top five British films, anything that's going to be sneaking in there? Oh, that's army. That'll walk it. <laughs> David Brent, Life Dad's on the army. Road. <laughs> Brent, Life on the Road. High Rise might be in there, I think. I, Daniel oh, yeah, Blake. High, High Rise should definitely be in there, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and the other one that we, we haven't mentioned is documentaries. I think Wiener might get in there. Oh, right. The, film, the, the documentary that was on Storyville the other week that Ben Challoner reviewed on here from Southern Double Deep, and then I watched it as well a couple of weeks after him. Um Really, really good and interesting documentary, but just a crazy guy. Is there, I mean, is there anything that, that you, you guys will be chucking into that list? What, or you... What was the, the hyper-normality that came out last month? It was like three hours long on BBC One, and it's completely mental. Yeah? No, I don't, don't that not, think I saw that, it. That's tickled, not what it's called, but it's something tickled, like... Tickled could be in there. Right, I saw a post for that. I, I won't see it, but I've been told that the less you know about it, the better. Yes. yes. Right. I yeah. think that's exactly what you and Paul said, wasn't it, Steve? <laughs> yes. It's mental. Yeah. I want to watch it. There's something wrong with people. <laughs> um, yeah, that... Was, was the whole making a murderer thing this year? Mm, it no. Like, it seems so long but, ago now. See, that's like a series, and I wouldn't count that anyway. Episode four, I'm think- then, of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the, so yeah, there have been some good documentaries. I'm sure we'll get some submitted to us. Um, but at the minute, yeah, uh, films not in the English language as well. Just very briefly, I watched The Wailing recently, South Korean film by Na Hong Jin, the guy who did Chaser and The Yellow Sea, which was good right up until the very end when I think the bottom just fell out of it because I don't think Koreans can do supernatural films particularly well. Um, but yeah, other things, I mean, Son of Saul, which I haven't seen, which I think will be very popular in these awards. And uh, Yakuza Apocalypse, Takeshi Mike's film, which might sneak in there, which is just absolutely fucking nuts. The weird, surreal, like anything that's popped into Takeshi Mike's mind, I think, made it into that film. Like a weird frog thing doing ninja assassin stuff down a street in Japan. Just the weirdest, weirdest movie. But anything else that you, you, you think might might make the list? 
Don't listen. Don't watch any of that foreign book. <laughs> it's got subtitles or it's in black and white. It's not on the list. <laughs> go to the cinema to have to read. <laughs> In this part of the podcast, we take on what is being called Secret Sandra, and that is not some kind of grotty website um, <laughs> that Owen has found for us somewhere to watch. It is uh, a, a, a auto ego. It's one of Paul yeah. Field's films. Let's be honest. Yeah, <laughs> it's an autocorrect fail on Secret Santa. So the idea is that we're all given a person on this podcast to make watch a film. And we made them watch a film, and they watched it, and they're going to review it now. Um, but it was anonymous as well, was the it? Was thing. It was It was anonymous. Nobody knows who's given who what film. No. So, Tony, you watched what? My secret, Sandra, was Krampus, uh, which was last year's Christmas comedy horror film directed by uh, Michael Doherty, uh, or Doherty, however you say his name. Um, Is there and- a C in it? Uh, I think not in not in the first day in the surname. Yeah, <laughs> uh, no, no. So it's Dowerty probably then. Yeah, um, yeah. Okay, so Is it though? yes. Let's uh, move on. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it can be Dowerty. It doesn't Dow- matter. He's never going to listen to us. No, well, no. You say that, that but not, you... the, not with that. He's sitting at home crying. He just turned it off. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it uh, this one came out last last year, I think, and it was uh, based on the uh, German folklore idea of, of Krampus, which is the um, sort of the uh, I suppose the anti Santa is what you could you could say he is he's the uh, he's like an old demonic spirit, and he he's known as the shadow of Saint Nick, um, and he punishes people who lose their Christmas spirit. Basically, that that's the, that's the essential idea of Krampus. Uh, so this is set in in like a, quite a, a you know a, a, an upmarket American family, uh, which is Adam Scott, Tony Collette, and uh, the but their their son who is just he's just a bit depressed at Christmas. He's having a bit of a shit time. He sends a letter off to uh, well he, he writes a letter to Santa, but then when his really boorish cousins and their and, and his loud uncle and aunt come round, they basically take the piss out of him for believing in Santa. So he gets angry, rips the letter up, throws it into the air. And then he sort of that's that's the cue to summon Krampus, uh, who then basically comes and terrorizes the neighborhood and um and everything like that. And then they all basically it, it becomes like a bit of a cross, I suppose, between like uh the nightmare before Christmas, uh, Home Alone and Die Hard <laughs> in all kinds of weird ways. It's it's a real and gremlins, big time, big time. Um so yeah, it's it's a real mix of all that stuff. Uh and it's played more for comedy than horror, really. Um, and I, I, I did, I did like it, but I kind of wanted this to be a bit scarier, to be honest, because it's you don't really get many mainstream scary Christmas films anymore, right? You know, you've got things like Black Christmas and whatnot, but going back in the day, but you don't really get most Christmas films are either knockabout comedies or they're you know things like. Um, Office Christmas party that just came out, or the night before last year, and all that kind of shit. They don't, that looks like absolute two the night before. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, I want, I want to make a film with my pals, give me money, and we can just dick about for a bit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, 
but yeah, I just I just wanted to be scared a bit more. But then I'm thinking to myself, did I come into it with the wrong attitude? I suppose did I think, oh, this is the, I've heard this is really scary and everything like that, and I wanted that more. Looking at it objectively, it's pretty good. You know, it's pretty well put together. It, it's got some good laughs. It's got a good cast. Uh, the people in it are, are all, they're fairly cliche stock roles, really. You know, you've got the the annoying uncle who turns out to be a bit of a hero and the stra- quite, you know, straight-laced parents who need to lo- loosen up a bit and rediscover their love and the cranky old aunt who turns out to be a bit badass and all that stuff. But it's, you know, it, it's it's pretty good. It's not, it's well put, it's pretty well put, put together. And what I liked about it was they don't really show you Krampus for most of it. It takes a, a while for you to actually see Krampus. And for the reveal of, of what he looks like and what he is, they, 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 you know, Michael Doughty plays it very much with, you know, shadow and he, and he, he creates all these funny little monsters, you know, made quite often out of things like toys and gingerbread men that are, you know, possessed and come and attack the family. And there's, so there's some really nice inventive little sequences and little gribblies going, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's it's got it's got a nice mix, and it obviously is extremely Christmassy. You know, it's all snow on the ground and Christmas and everything. So yeah, and it's, it's just it's it's a bit different. But I think in an ideal world, I'd have had it be a bit scarier and a bit more, um, because it's not particularly frightening and it's not massively funny. So it kind of sits in the middle, really. But uh, yeah, for what it was, I really I really liked it. I really liked it, and even though I don't think it's up there with the best Christmas films. I think if if you want something to watch this festive season, it's worth a look. I made you watch Krampus. Oh, well, thanks, Steve. And that was because, A, it's nearly Christmas. B, me and Brooke saw it last year and thought it was brilliant, um, but didn't think too many people had seen it. And C, I always recommend Owen awful films to watch, and I wanted to recommend someone else a good film to annoy him. <laughs> <laughs> Well, given uh, given what Owen's got, I think that's worked double folds. <laughs> yes, it's worked like a charm for Steve that one. Mm-hmm. Um, Brian, what did you have to watch? I well, what you had to watch, I was given to watch Internet's Own Boy uh, about Aaron Swartz, and I didn't know the story at all. It's a documentary about Aaron Swartz, who was big in internet startups like he started his own personal wikipedia before wikipedia existed and like i said i didn't go look into the story all i saw about it beforehand was it's about internet pioneering and it was listed under crime slash true crime so that colored me when i went went into it it was quite weird it went on because i didn't know where the story ended so i kept on saying is this what it's going to be about he's a child prodigy like as a kid he's Super smart, but smart. He does programming, he does coding, and he can do tons of cool stuff. So, right, is this a film about child prodigies and looking at him and comparing them to everyone else? No. It's about a guy who starts lots of net startups and net companies and uses his own IP. Is that what? No, it's, that's not what it's going to be about. He works to free information. Like, one of the, the big thing where he comes to the government's attention is. He doesn't hack JSTOR. Like JSTOR is a thing where online academic journals are stored. Your university library will have a subscription to JSTOR, but you have to pay for the subscription. You have to pay for each one you download if you're not on JSTOR. And he says this, people should have access to this information. We're keeping it locked up. That's just profit making for no good reason. So he sets up routines where, here's a code, you put it into your PC, you get a giant size hard drive, and you just 
get things out of JSTOR. And that's when the government says, this isn't really on. They're not sure why he did it, if he wanted to get information available and have his own JSTOR for money. They're not sure he wanted to just make a point, or if he wanted to release this out to the wild. What ends up happening is he gets pulled in by the police because of uh, a law passed in the 1980s about proper use of the internet. What that means is, if you don't follow the terms and conditions on a website or a program, you are committing a felony. Now, everyone at home, hand up if you read terms and conditions. That'll be no one. Terms and conditions, because they know no one reads them, they put nonsense in. Some terms and conditions include things like, be nice to each other and have a nice day. If you're not nice to each other, that's a felony. And you can have that put in your record as a felony. So he gets charged with a bundle of these things. Um, they stick out his house, they, they stress him out, and he ends up killing himself. I thought, right, is this about suicide? And no, it's not. It literally just follows his life. And it, it's an interesting life. It, it's a very short one, but it's very interesting. And I was kind of unsatisfied that it, it focused just on his story because there's so many ways it can branch out and look at other things. The last 15 minutes are his friends and peers talking about what he could have done, what he could have achieved, what the world misses from him. I thought, that's a much more interesting part of the film, about what is left behind when a person kills himself. I'd love to have seen that. Instead, they ended, like the final scene is him when he's three years old and potting about his house and thought, okay, it's sad. But who he grew up to be is far more interesting than who he was to start off with. Um, it's talk about there's lots and lots of talking heads. Disappointingly, they only get talking heads from his side, like no one from JSTOR talks, no one from MIT, which is where he based his coding system, talks to the filmmakers, no one from the government talks to the filmmakers. So it really is just his story by people who knew him. And the one thing that I think is definitely worth mentioning, uh, I had the credits on, I jumped up when I saw it, because it's soundtracked by John Braganetti who might not mean much to anyone, but he's half of the Submarines, which is a very cool indie band who, they were a couple, and for their first album they broke up. And they went off and wrote a bunch of songs, and they said, I miss you, and they wrote a lot of songs about a breakup, and then got back together for two more albums. So the soundtrack is quite cool. It, it's not noticeable, but it's quite cool that it's in there. I enjoyed this film. I watched it in two sittings. I enjoyed it. I'm glad I watched it. I just think it's a... There's so many other things he could have talked about instead of just his own life. Okay, and who made Brian watch that? I made Brian watch The Internet's Own Boy. And why did you do that? Well, I know Brian um, has talked about interesting documentaries on here on, in the past. I think you did Twinsters. Oh, Twinsters well, is great. Everyone should go yeah. Twinsters. And I, I ended up watching Twinsters because you reviewed it. So I thought, you know what, I can pay you back. I can give you a documentary I thought was really good. What did you make of Twinsters? Uh, Twinsters was great. It was really just like a heartwarming, lovely little film. Um, I thought it was really sad. Oh, there's, I there's think sadness. it's not at all. It's awful. Do you think so? I well, think the, it's kind the, of... The, the fact that the, the, the French one just knows that I'm, I'm second best of... I don't have a support, I don't have a family, and 
But then she kind she, of she finds one, it, yeah, I think. They, they miss out all the sad stuff. Yeah, they. I think the, the the angle for that story is that they found each other. So yeah. even though one, so I thought it was quite an uplifting story, really. One that just shows that these two two little girls, well, not little girls, that's a bit patronising. Yeah, these the two, 20s. yeah, these two people can meet each other online and and just yeah to have that bond. Okay. I thought it was quite a nice one. So the internet's own boy, I thought was interesting. Even though you're right, I mean, it is basically a tribute sort of story, and it doesn't go massively in depth on any particular angle but it was enough yeah. to make me get quite emotional whilst watching it i feel it it made me feel angry when i think it was supposed to make you feel angry it made me feel sort of sorry for him when i think that was the, the point as well um i thought it was just a really cleverly put together documentary um yeah and it has quite an interesting guy who more people should know about at the, at the center of it cool I had to watch um, I Love You, Philip Morris from 2009. Uh, yes, yeah, starring um, uh, Jim Carrey and Ewan McGregor as Philip Morris. And it's based on real events of a con artist, an imposter, um, and multiple time prison escapee, Stephen J. Russell, which is who Jim Carrey plays. Um, and. It's probably worth saying that it is a black comedy as Jim Carrey, while probably being known for his comedy films, is very versatile and does do films that aren't comedies. So if you didn't know about this film, probably best worth tipping you off to what kind of film it's going to be. Uh, I, I've, I found it... While it seems to be quite well received, um, generally, I... I it certainly wasn't Jim Carrey's worst film. It's not his best by a long way. And for me, it just seemed to kind of just... It was one of those films that went from situation to situation to situation. It was just... You know, it wasn't... No, I don't think the... the it just didn't really work for me. I didn't... I didn't not enjoy it, but... Even now I'm struggling to remember too much about it. Um, Jim Carrey wasn't... I don't think he was phoning it in, but he wasn't at his... Kind of enigmatic best. Ewan McGregor was fine as Philip Morris. But yeah, I, I don't really have much to say about it. And I don't know if that's me or the film or what. But I, I yeah, who, who made me watch it? I picked it on the grounds that I went, I was told it had to be a thing on Netflix and I went looking for actors who I quite like. And Ewan McGregor is one of them. And that was the, I think, the best Ewan McGregor film you can get on Netflix. I watched it a few years ago, and it was a pleasant enough romp. Um, That's it, a it's pretty got, accurate way of describing yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> it won't change the world, but it'll be a, a moderately amusing hour and a half. Yeah, I watched it as well because I'd never seen it, and when it came through, I thought, that's quite an interesting choice, and I wanted to see it as well. I felt similar to Steve, I think, in that I don't really know how to describe it. It was part good, part... Yeah, it's, of... it's one of those films that you're not annoyed you watched it, it was perfectly fine. You probably would watch it again. Um, it could have been a lot better, but in terms of a film for a podcast that, where a film could do some talking points, it, it doesn't really have many. <laughs> I thought before I watched it, it would be like Thank You for Smoking. Because Philip Morrison in a big tobacco company. I thought it would be like that. But no, it's just a dude called Philip Morris. Yeah, pretty much. I did like some of the, the escapades that he got up to, though. Jim Carrey's character. And apparently he's based on like a real guy. 
Or they, yeah. They claim, yeah. It's, it's a bit like Wind in the Willows, except instead of dressing up as a washerwoman, he <laughs> pretends he's died from AIDS. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Owen, what did you have to watch? Well, I think by process of elimination, uh, this is you, Tony. You've picked this for me. Uh, <laughs> yes, I did. I watched... Oh, Merry Christmas, Owen. <laughs> Yeah, I guess he's not coming back on the podcast ever again. <laughs> um, I watched True Memoirs of an International Assassin, <laughs> which which is a film directed by Jeff Wadlow, whose most famous movie is Kick-Ass 2. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it stars Kevin James, he of Adam Sandler Group fame. Um I found out I haven't actually watched any Kevin James film before this. I thought I must have not seen him in something. Not even Grown Ups 2? No, not even Grown Ups 2. <laughs> How weird is that? And you call yourself it's... a film podcast. <laughs> I know, not Paul Paul Blart, not Chuck and Larry, not not anything. So, yeah. Hitch even, apparently, he's in. And I've not seen that. He's not. I haven't seen Pixels, I haven't seen Hotel Transylvania, oh, Monster no. House. Not even the first Grown Ups. There's just nothing. Nothing there. Wow. It's Every single blank. film you've mentioned, I've just taken a massive body's work from because they all look dreadful. Well, quite. Yeah, exactly. Um, I have seen him, I think, in some TV shows in King of Queens. I think I may have seen an episode, yeah. or half an episode of that, and then gone, nope, not for me. And, um, even, and even so, that is probably the best thing he's ever done, and that's not very good. Yeah, that's like two and a half men standards, isn't it? Or worse. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Maybe not quite as bad, words. but yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I had no expectations on this other than, oh god, it's that guy, uh, which just seems pretty unfair because I can't really judge him against anything he's done. And it started off okay. It started off fine. It set itself up quite well. Um, I mean, I say quite well. I mean, quite well by recent Netflix original movies standards. Um. It, it has this like this premise about he's a, a writer and he makes up a story about a spy of some kind, some description, but he uses real stories who he's learnt from his mate down at the pool house. And it kind of ends up with him being kidnapped because people start to think that his memoirs are true and not fictional. And he gets mistaken for a spy and ends up getting entangled in this assassination attempt that he has to assassinate a Venezuelan prime minister or president and then take out the people leading the rebellion and some other guys. Hang on. Isn't this basically that Bill Murray film, The Man Who Knew Too Little? (laughs) I haven't seen it, but from what I know of it, yeah, probably. Which actually was quite good back in the day. It was quite Mm. fun. But yeah, I've, I've I've heard this story before somewhere. Yeah. Quite possibly. It didn't yeah. strike me as particularly original. <laughs> I'll give you that. And what I found was, I it was like watching a movie that had been translated from a foreign land. Well, I think I said before we actually started recording, it was like when you get a book that was originally written like 200 years ago in German, and then they've turned it, they've translated it into English like 10 years ago and you're reading a new translation and you're like what the fuck I don't get any of these references it's translated into a a version of English I barely understand that's what this film was like it was like watching a 
I just didn't know what the jokes were. <laughs> Never mind where they were supposed to be. It was so like weirdly structured. I didn't get when the gags were meant to be gags. I didn't. I just didn't laugh, and that was not because it was unfunny. It's just I didn't. I didn't know what was the funny bits. Obviously, they give you lots of cues, like when uh, Kevin James is repeating the thing that's just happened in a loud, shouty voice. And he says, you know, you've just recorded a podcast. And that's the joke kind of thing. It's just, yeah, I mean, it's just utterly fucking boring is the word. It's boring. There's there's no laughs. There's no humour. There's... I. Well, if there is humour, it went either. It was either too sophisticated for me to understand, or it was too so far dumbed down that I didn't recognise it as a joke. I I think we should go for the for the first one. I I think this is just on a different plane to you, Owen. I, I think this is so sophisticated yeah. that you can't get it's, it. Is it like got... Stuart Lee in that sense? It's <laughs> one of these things that you find it funny not because it's funny but because you want to feel smart than other people what I need is Adam Sandler to come and deconstruct it for me if, uh, if if Adam Sandler can come along and just take each point and tell me which are the funny bits then I think it's amazing you know a la Stuart Lee but otherwise yeah not no it was um, I was a bit aggrieved as well Tony I have to admit because I did put in the email for the secret Sandra you know it doesn't have to be a horrible film you know, it's it's a Christmas spirit. You know, we can share nice films, and then yeah. But, well, well, you're you're assuming you're assuming that I'm you know I, I'm not Scrooge. Clearly, I am. There has to be a Scrooge, Owen. And you know, you did it, put the option. It doesn't have to be I horrible. Did. Therefore, you didn't say don't make it horrible. So you know, I I just took a liberty with with your words. That's yeah. all. I've ended up with the lump of coal. Like Scrooge, I can be redeemed by the end of this podcast. Do you reckon? We're all going to be running out to buy your turkeys, massive turkeys. <laughs> we do, I do need a turkey, actually. That that would really help. Yeah. We've got three uh, new releases of sorts to review for you this week. One from the television, two from the cinema. I'm going to start off with Office Christmas Party, which for some reason I just keep thinking is a sequel to Horrible Bosses. I don't know it's got why. a lot of the same cast, doesn't it? Yes, um, and the same quality, because it's not very good. <laughs> uh, so, basically, at this office, for some reason, to um, impress a client, they have to have like the, the best Christmas party ever. It, it's such a what? tenuous... It's such a tenuous reason to have a Christmas party, and it's just very predictable, not very funny very cliched all right there are a couple of times where you raise a bit of a smile i mean i don't think i ever laughed out loud but definitely smiled laughed internally at some bits but in general it's just the most predictable cliched boring by the books safe comedy you can get i would waste your time to be honest like watch it on tv if you really want to see it i won't advocate stealing it but watch it on television when it comes out, or video on demand, or just go to an actual party. Yeah. Well, it's not it's not worth paying eight quid plus your four quid popcorn and three quid fat of fizzy drink. Just just wait. It's yeah, just very below average and by the books and. Has safe. it put you in a Christmassy mood though, Steve? No. Not the opposite? <laughs> not, you can't not wait the op- for it to be over? Not, not the opposite. I'm in quite a Christmassy mood in general anyway. But this film hasn't 
made it made it more so. Mm. This one hasn't made me more Christmassy. Hasn't made me more festive. It's not made me less festive. <laughs> okay. Not, uh, oh, and you've seen Birth of a Nation. Uh, yes, I have seen the Birth of a Nation. Has anybody seen the original D.W. Griffiths uh, silent black and white film Birth of a Nation? No, but I know the one you're talking about. Uh, yeah. Woodrow Wilson said it was like fantastic. It's not he, what you want from president. He said it was, but he, I think he said he was also ashamed that it was also terribly true. Was also his quote. But uh, it, yeah, so yeah, the the original is an adaptation of a book called The Klansman, which is about the Ku Klux Klu Klux Klan. Um, and so this film, which is by Nate Parker, who is a, a black African-American, called his film The Birth of a Nation as a sort of big fuck you to, to, the, to the old, not the original, it's not a remake, but to that original Klansman movie. Um, so that was my first mistake, because I went in thinking, oh, is it going to be the same story, but from the other side, about these slaves, rather than the brave Ku Klux Klan members who thwart this uprising of rapist black men. No, it's not. It's like, it's nothing to do with that. So, uh, what it is actually about is a guy called Nat Turner, who was a real person. He was a slave but he was a preacher at the same time he used to preach in his little community that uh well it's not community is it but it, the, the slaves with with whom he was kept uh he used to be their preacher and his owner used to take him around to other places to get money basically he used to preach to other slaves in worse and worse conditions than him to tell them that it's fine to be a slave because that's what god wants of you so yeah, so it's not a very comfortable watch at all. You can imagine how it plays out as a narrative. You just see worse and worse slaves, worse and worse conditions for the slaves, I should say, um, as the film progresses. From people being flayed to horrible, like, emaciated people who, emaciated people who are just... Yeah, it's it's just grim. It's real real struggle to sit through the two hours of it, because in the end, what you get is this Nat Turner, who's played by Nat, Nate Parker, uh, who is also the director of this film. He's also the writer, and he basically got the movie off the ground. And I'll come on to a little bit about him in a minute and his history with this film. Um, but he, he effectively leads an an uprising of of these slaves and they go around and plot to get revenge and I won't say much more about what happens because I think you should watch the film uh, it's one of these movies I think it's, I'm glad has been made I think as a history lesson there's lots to be learnt from it but also it's just it, there's, there's just so much that the film wants to say that I can totally see why, upon its original screening, people said that it was uh, one of the films of the year. Because there's a, there's a lot to admire with what it's doing and what it's attempting to do. However, there is some controversy that surrounds it that w we have to kind of address when talking about this. That would be the fact that Nate Parker was one of two people who allegedly was involved in a rape 
in in the end towards the end of the nineties. He raped somebody allegedly. That's what was alleged, and he was the the person who he allegedly raped, but he wasn't convicted of um, of raping. She killed herself in twenty twelve. So what happens with Nate Parker's character in the film is his wife is raped by a group of um, slave hunters, slave catchers. And his character then goes on this arc of redemption about getting revenge. But how bad he felt because of her rape. Yeah. So, yes, exactly. I'm clenching quite a bit. That's, yeah. I mean, I didn't know this history when the film was um, being made. The other thing was... Apparently, from what I've read, from a brief conversation I had earlier today and then what I quickly could find on Google, um, this guy, Nat Turner, there's no historical evidence to suggest that his wife was raped at all. So it's something he's put into his story. So, I mean, how uncomfortable does that make the film now? That you've got this guy who was accused of rape, that the person he was accused of rape, uh, raping committed suicide, and now his character is a hero for taking down the people who raped his character's wife. Uh, yes. See, the, the only thing I've seen about it is that he is, as you've said, the writer, director, producer and star. Mm-hmm. Which yeah, I mean, me... that's a, a red flag immediately for most Oh, well, yeah, most it made films. me go a bit... Uh... Yeah. Well, it's you need someone to bring you in. Yeah. Otherwise, it sounds a bit like a vanity project. Yeah, yeah. But well, I mean, whilst I was watching this film, and I, I saw it with um, with Brooker, and we watched it both at the same time, and we both kind of came out of that thinking, who who is this film for? Because in the same way, like when I said when I reviewed I Daniel Blake, in the same way as that film is made for a specific audience of people who are going to go and see it and agree with it anyway. This film very much feels like it's made for its a specific audience. But if those people see it, then of course they're going to agree with it anyway. So it's not really going to change their minds. And the people who won't be going to see uh, a film about a slave who, um, you know, rightfully takes down some slave masters, you're not going to, or tries to take down some slave masters, those people who are going to go, oh, you're not going to win those people over, that audience of people who, who wouldn't be seeing this anyway. So I'm, we were kind of left in two minds about trying to work out who this was, who was, who is, who has Nate Parker aimed this film at? Which, again, in the benef- with the benefit of hindsight, now looking back, after finding out this stuff, makes me think, well, maybe it was aimed for a very specific person, and it's kind of tainted it a bit more. But... So it's a, it's a weird film. I think people should still see it because there's still people who are involved with this. And, and his part in... I know he d- directed, produced, starred in, all that kind of thing. But there are people who are involved in this who I would assume have signed up because it's a very important film with a very important message. And so for their benefit and because of what the actual story is about, it probably is worth seeing still. But it's not. It's, it hasn't got a story anything like the way that 
A far superior film such as Twelve Years a Slave handles the subject and delivers it with an astonishing narrative and brilliant characters uh, and an effective performance, but it, this still has that kind of value to it. So if it's same as like your kind of thing that you might see and might rave about, it probably is. If it's if you don't know whether to see it, if you think it's going to be too grim for you, it probably is too grim for you. If you're a racist, then you're not going to see it anyway, but you probably should see it. Okay. Um, the other two, Brian and Tony, have been watching Westworld, the new Sky Atlantic hit show, um, which has just ended its first season. Tell us all about that one, guys. I won't tell you all about it. Because... <laughs> yeah, please don't, because I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> Although, I, I talked to someone in the pub about it. Like, I watched it, and I read reviews after each episode, and I spoke to people on the forum about it, and we, we pieced together bits and pieces. It's one where... You watch episode 9, then episode 2 makes a lot more sense than it did the first time around. All the information is there. You just need to A, look for it, and B, know what you're looking for. It hasn't pulled anything out of its backside and said, ta-da, we have a finish. That said, I spoke to someone who hadn't watched or read anything else about it, and she got halfway through and said, so you know the bit about this? I said, no. Mm. So I, I do... Like, the first six episodes, I was massively confused. I watched it, I took it in and went, nah, not a clue. Not a clue. So I do wonder what it would be like to watch it without having someone else taking notes for you. But it's very complicated. I, th- I think... And what? Go on, Brian, sorry. It, it's not the story, it's how it's shot. The The editing is what makes it complicated and it's brilliant because there's there's no ambiguity in it except there completely is and once you watch it again you go oh that's not what i thought it was but they don't present it to you in any way that might suggest doubt it's just here's what's happening you think hang on that's not what's happening but you need to know what you're looking for before you can start to unravel things Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I think so. I think that's I think that's true. I, I think it's it's one of those shows that I think is has been well thought out. You know, it's kind of it's kind of corrected the mistakes that some shows like Lost, as much as I loved Lost, you know, the Lost is probably one of the biggest comparisons people have made, that it's kind of the new Lost. But I think the difference is that, that Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy know exactly where this is going. Really, I think they've really mapped it out, and you can tell by the construction of these ten episodes that it is like one big story just stretched over ten episodes. Um, but and it's surprising by the end of the bicameral mind, which is the season finale, just how much has been answered. It's like uh, in one season they've answered as much as Lost would have taken five to answer, and then not really answer at all. Um, it's 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 shocking by the end you're like wow okay i kind of know everything and it, and it's 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 a surprise because it doesn't end the show in any any way shape or form you know the finale ends with a, a bunch of huge cliffhangers um but at the same time if you, if it didn't come back i genuinely think you would be fairly satisfied with that 10 and i do not want season 2 well i <laughs> this I, don't. Is it. I i you've given me a story good yeah done it's funny We've i've had, I've had a few point. people I've had a few people say this similar to me in that um, 
<clears throat> it's funny because my boss at work has been watching it alongside, and I've been going in, and we've been having that classic water cooler in inverted commas moment of, oh, did you see it last night? Did you see it last night? And then she said that to me. She said, I don't want another series now. What are they going to do? How is it? It's not going to be the same show, is it? You know, yeah, and, 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 and that, but that is that is the point. It's got to much like the hosts. It's got to evolve now, hasn't it? You can you can rehash story points. You can rehash themes, but I don't know what you do. Well, the original um, the original films had Westworld, and then the sequel was Future World. Do you reckon mm. they might set it somewhere else, but in the same similar sort of theme park environment? What's the story going to be? I don't know. I haven't even seen the West. I haven't seen Westworld yet, so <laughs> I can't comment. I don't even see what the story is. What I will say is it's told very well. Sandy Newton is outstanding. Uh, Anthony Hopkins is Pete Hopkins. He's menacing and measured, and it's a bit like his Hannibal Lecter performance, where you just can't not watch him. Mm. Ed Harris is very good until he takes his hat off. And you think, oh, you're not half as scared as I thought you were. <laughs> um, he is. He needs a, a proper head shave. And <laughs> Jeffy Wright is is really good as well. There's a lot of very good acting talent in this. I mean, it, it's it's and it's it's made very well. Yeah, it is. It look all the money's on screen. It's you know, it's not it's not a perfect season one. It's a very 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 good one. It's one of the best first seasons I think I've seen. You know, it does it does sag a little bit in the middle. There is about two or three episodes where it does sort of go around the houses, but at the same time, it is putting things into place and character stories into place that pay off in the end and, oh, and will pay off in, in the future seasons. So well, it's constructing a narrative and a world that, and I think it needed those extra episodes really to breathe, even though not a lot sort of happens. But that's that's okay. You can forgive it. By the time you get to the end and you get the, the rousing finish... You can, you know, it all it all has led to that great point, really. Two things. One, in I think it's episode six, you actually see the final scene of episode ten. Have you seen that picture? Ford at his desk, yeah, and the final scene yeah. is in front of him. Yeah, and yeah, to, yeah. Someone said that episode five or six, the writers went, "Hold on, this show is going off the rails. Stop everything. We'll." get back on track and do some writing and then the the last half of the series is a freight train yeah yeah it's, seven it, it seven onwards beats. yeah it's mm. it's exciting like yeah. I, I sat forward watching it i don't do that the last time i did that was breaking bad and half measures but i i sat forward and it's so engaging it's, it's just it's, it's just really intelligent clever telly and i think if you're if you if you want telly that he's gonna really really gonna make you think and make you talk and make you theorize and all kinds of things, this is it now. This is this is the number one for the next few years. Okay, well, um, that's almost it for this week's uh, Fail Critics podcast. Um, did we all come with a recommendation for stuff for people to watch? I did. Yes. Did. Yes. Well, I'm going for Bone Tomahawk, which is now <gasps> Netflix UK. You bastard! Yeah, that was my <laughs> choice as well. Well, there you go. That's the that. film I've been banging um, on about all year. Yeah. Um, I had a look at what's on the BBC this Christmas, what the big things are, and a British Bake Off special. I think enjoy Bake Off while it lasts. But also, Sherlock Series 4 starts in January, and I'm predicting, like I did for the Christmas special last year, it'll be massively self-indulgent and up itself. 
I think we've had peak Sherlock, and I think we're down the other side of it, but I still want to see what they do. Okay. Uh, Tony, you found something? I have. Uh, on Netflix, uh, for fans of not just Star Trek, but of Leonard Nimoy, check out For the Love of Spock, which is the new uh, documentary by his son, Adam Nimoy, um, which uh, I heard Adam Nimoy talk about when I went to the Star Trek um, 50 years celebration in Birmingham earlier this year. Um, that is all about Leonard Nimoy and, and Spark and everything like that. So if you're a fan of Star Trek and that guy, definitely give it a look. Does it include his work in the Transformers movie? Like the 1986 one, the good one? Um, do you know, I can't remember. I can't remember. I didn't watch it very long ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm recommending it, but I can't remember it. <laughs> that had some strange voice casting in it, didn't it? That original. Oh, it, it's, it's May, awesome full of Wells, star power. Eric oh. Idle, Judd Nelson. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a really good film. Yeah, it is actually. It is. Much better than any of the Michael Bay shite that came There's out. a recommendation for you. Watch the 1986 Transformers movie. <laughs> Orson Welles' Last Rule. Anyway, that is all for this week's Failed Critics podcast. Uh, the next episode will be the Star Wars Rogue One special, which will be out shortly after the film's release, probably on the Friday or Saturday of any luck. Um, and then, I mean, what's up after that? We've got our final podcast of the year, which is when we round up all the uh, results of the Power Critics Awards. Excellent. So, yes, that's all for this week. Thank you all for listening. And, yes, see us again shortly. The Failed Critics Podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, created by James Diamond with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, remixed by James Yule of JamesYule.com. You can find us at FailedCritics.com, on Twitter at FailedCritics, and Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash FailedCritics. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.